regular season misery is finally over. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined this evening by Tyler Burton. Unfortunately, no Corbin. Uh, he is uh, feeling under the weather. I can only assume that he just was watching the game Saturday night and became incredibly sick at what he was seeing, and he's still recovering from that. I think we all did, Adam. Yeah, there's uh, definitely the flu is is uh, going around right now. I had it last week. Uh, sister and her boyfriend have got it. a couple other family members have got it. Now it looks like Corbin is under the weather as well. So Corbin, wish you get to feeling better. And Adam, we also wish this football team was a lot better, was feeling a lot better, was playing a lot better than they are. But six and six, uh, where do we, we where do we even want to begin? I'm not sure. We have to address the Texas Tech game a little bit. I know we don't really want to, and it's it's kind of past at this point. We're all looking to the future at this moment because who wants mm-hmm. to look back on this season? 500, they're, they have a chance to have a losing record in a bowl game against a team that they probably don't want to be wherever we are, um, you know, as mm-hmm. much as, as we do. But, um, yeah, just a, just a rough ending of the year. And we all predicted that. We all mm-hmm. had a loss on the, uh, on the prediction against Texas mm-hmm. Tech. But it almost felt like the same things that we see every single game came mm-hmm. back. And it wasn't enough for Oklahoma State to overcome that first quarter deficit um, for, for, for the Cowboys, but it was in Lubbock for the Red Raiders. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, is there anything that stands out to you from this game maybe that is different than what we've seen otherwise? Oh, the hard part right now when trying to dissect what happened at Texas Tech, it kind of feels like everybody, at least you know the two of us and you know speaking for Corbin as well, kind of feels like everybody's looking ahead to the future. We're talking about big picture changes, things that we want to see moving forward, starting with this offseason going into 2023. But when you look at Texas Tech, you know, kind of the same story, different verse. Offense came out firing on all cylinders, 48 points on just shy of 700 total yards. Fantastic performance by Jeff Levy's group. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, statistically, Adam, I think played his best game in an Oklahoma home uniform 28 of 40 449 six touchdowns outside of the one interception he was really good i thought with his decision making made a couple of nice plays with his legs eric gray i mean there's a reason why oklahoma fans for the better part of the last six weeks are going to be talking about how much we're going to miss this guy chances are he's probably played his last game in an oklahoma uniform no reason for him to play in the bowl game whatsoever he went for 168 on saturday and then adam we finally had we finally had a game in which we saw playmakers catching the football, not just a Marvin Mims or you know maybe a Drake Stoops having a nice game, but we saw guys consistently multiple positions across the field make considerable uh, plays for this offense. Marvin Mims, 5 for 162 and two touchdowns. Uh, Braden Willis, who's kind of been forgotten about over the last couple of weeks, he had two touchdowns to go along with 74 yards. And, uh, you know, Theo Weiss, Three catches, 123 yards, to, uh, one touchdown, probably Theo Weiss's best game in Oklahoma uniform. Unfortunately, sounds like it might be his last game in an Oklahoma an uniform. So, uh, but Adam, like you said, another game this season where Oklahoma beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma couldn't get off the field on defense from the late second quarter on. Penalties, missed tackles, questionable coaching decisions, poor play calling late in games. It was the same disaster that's played Oklahoma again and again this season. Yeah. It was the offense not being able to stay on the field when it mattered most on third and fourth down, although they did a little bit better on third down than Mm -hmm. than the past two games. Um, And then the defense having a great first quarter, looking like there's progress, and then immediately erasing all of that and then some. It's Mm -hmm. one step forward, ten steps back, it feels like, uh, for the defense. We saw David Aguayu doing what he does best, which is chase down uh, you know, opposing quarterbacks at about half speed. 
We saw, you know, other guys come in. I think Justin Broyles had a series where he basically gave up a touchdown on about three plays there. We saw Billy Bowman play his worst football of the entire season. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was just, it was so bad. Um, And it's frustrating because I thought maybe there was a little bit of a storyline developing with this defense of, okay, yeah, they're not going to contain the best offenses in the league like TCU and Kansas State necessarily, but against West Virginia and Iowa State and against a, a battered up Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. maybe there's something there where they're at least taking care of business against the teams that they should. And then they go out and they do that against Texas Tech. Yeah. Who really doesn't have the same types of playmakers that mm-hmm. past Texas Tech teams have had. And well- yeah, it was yeah, bad. I, I mean, the defense played really well. I mean, this is, you know, three out of the last four weeks, the defense has played extremely well starting out in the first quarter. They didn't give up their first points in the game until the 945 minute mark in the second quarter. And Adam, I think that was off of the Dylan Gabriel interception, if 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 I'm if I'm correct on that. But I think that one of the things that we've seen kind of rear its head, you know, for <laughs> what's going to be the final time in the regular season, it's the lack of depth. I think the linebacker position, if you go back and you watch the tape, especially the last six weeks of the season, you look at Danny Stutzman uh, and you look at David Aguebu, especially in the first quarter and well into the you know later part of the first half, when those guys are fresh, when those guys aren't having to play 100 plays like we get into late into the second half, those guys are flying around making plays from time to time. Their assignment sound, they're making plays, they're where they are supposed to. There's not a whole lot of missed tackles. But once you once you get into the kind of the danger zone where it's midway through the fourth quarter, the, the defense has been out there for 80, 90 to 100 plays. The offense can't do their job and give the defense a break, you know, put together a four, five, six-minute drive to give uh, the defensive group a chance to catch their breath, that's when you start to see plays like we saw on Saturday where, you know, David Aguebu is running around the field just looking gassed play after play. He's got his hands on his hips. He's missing tackles. He's getting outrun by a quarterback. So um, it's just one of those issues where because of the lack of depth, because of the lack of recruiting at that position – Shane Witter going out earlier this season. Jaron Kanick, I don't know why he can't get on the field. You've got Kip Lewis. You've got Kobe McKenzie, two guys that, you know, were keeping redshirted at this point in the season. You know, when you're only – when you've got two guys that are playing 100% of the snaps, you, you can't expect those guys to hold up in a 13-game season four quarters a week. Yeah, and to me that just spells complete coaching failure. Like, Why can, why can you not get Jaron Kanick on the field? Why can he not get 10 – 15, 20 snaps. Why can he not spell one of those linebackers for a series in the second half? Is it that bad, or what are I mean, we miss- what are we missing here? We're, we're already watching David Aguebu chasing down players all over the field because he is either you know not fast enough or doesn't have the stamina because he's playing mm-hmm. too much. But like that's absolute complete failure. And if you truly think that Jaron Kanick is so bad that he would just give up a seventy yard touchdown every time he's in the game, like okay, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Well then you, it's still a coaching failure because you have to counterbalance that with the <laughs> offensive tempo and, and scheme there and say, hey, we we want to run tempo. That's part of our identity, mm-hmm. but we can't do that because we're killing our defense on the on the flip side by asking them to you know defend so many different plays. So it's coaching failure no matter which way you want to go with that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the theme of the season. And I, I dropped a little bit of a hot take on Twitter the other day that fired some people up. We got a ton <laughs> of uh, responses on there. But it, I think it's true. Like we looked at, you know, the, the talent rankings of OU versus all the teams that they lost to. They had triple the amount of blue chip players on this OU roster than than TCU. I think they had double the amount of like West Virginia or sorry, four times the amount of uh, blue chip players that West Virginia 
um, had that mm -hmm. uh, K State has that Texas Tech has. So people want to. I, I don't. I don't know why there's a certain faction of the fan base that just says the, the coaching staff can do no wrong. There's absolutely no talent in Norman when that's just absolutely not true. I, and I know that the, the schemes changed and a new coach came in, but like a new co coach came into Texas Tech too. And they didn't have any like blue chip players. So uh, they found a way. OU's coaches did not find a way. I just, I feel like they, there's a huge failure across the board on the season from the coaching staff. I've been pretty vocal about this, you know, going all the way back to, I think it was right before the, uh, right before the Baylor game where I was giving this coaching staff, you know, quite a bit of a pass. You know, I think that the, the fan base, a good portion of it is guilty. They hang their hat on the excuse of, you know, well, it is a first-year head coach. Every single one of the players that's on campus right now, they weren't recruited by this coaching staff. None of these guys are, you know, these players' kids. So, But but at the same time, too, Adam, these guys are still Division One football players. I know that stars don't necessarily, you know, stars aren't everything, but stars play quite a bit. So there's a, good, good, there's a very, very good chance that all these four-star, five-star guys that are on campus at Oklahoma – you can figure out a way to make those pieces work. Now, you may not be able to figure out a way to be good enough to be a top 15 defense or figure out a way to get to a college football playoff, but with the guys that are on campus right now, there there is much more talent on this squad right now than a 6-6 six and six football team represents. So some of that is players, some of it's coaching, but there's, there's no party involved within this entire football program um, that is innocent or can completely you know, go unscathed when talking about the problems that this team has experienced from August all the way to December. So, But, you know, Adam, th just talking about this game, Oklahoma was up 24-6 to with six minutes left in the second quarter. And they got outscored forty-five to twenty-four the rest of the way. I think another, you know, major theme that describes you know Team One Twenty-Eight this season is the inability to continue the momentum and deliver the kill shot when the kill shot is there. How many times over the last month, and especially on Saturday in Lubbock, did Oklahoma have a chance? to go up by four scores. How many times did Oklahoma have the opportunity not just to not just to uh, basically kill the will of the team playing from them, but you just completely take the crowd uh, to entirely out of the game, and Oklahoma just refuses to do that. I, I don't know why. I don't know. It's, it's play calling. It's penalties. It's missed tackles. It's a whole lot of stuff, but just Oklahoma is just not doing the things that teams are, need to do in order to win those you know close one-possession football games. Adam, a couple things here I do want to get your thoughts on as far as some of the you know key plays within the game. Number one, I hated the fake field goal decision when Oklahoma was up 14 to nothing. Drive stalled. You have a chance to kick the field goal, go up 17 to nothing, uh, you know, continue with the momentum. I know a lot of people think that, you know, Brain Willis scores if he catches the football, but in that situation, your defense is playing lights out. Keep the momentum, take the, take the field goal, put yourself up 17 to nothing. I hated the decision that Brent Venables made at the end of the game to kick the field goal. Yes, I know Zach Schmidt made it, but in that moment, Brent was putting the game in the hands of his defense. And when it was clear to everybody that there was no way Oklahoma's defense was going to get a stop with Texas Tech having the football with the last possession of the fourth quarter. And then my last thing, Adam, I absolutely hated the play calling in overtime. First play out of the box, the reverse pass for a first down where Dylan Gabriel gets destroyed. Yes, first down, great. Not a good idea, though, to put your quarterback in that position, especially when you know what you've got behind him in Davis, in Davis Bevel. Next play, you bring the Wildcat formation back. OU fans, us especially, have been clamoring, especially in short yardage plays, since Texas bring back the Wildcat formation. Get Davis Bevel off the field, get another blocker in there, and figure out a way to pick up the short yardage first down. 
Braden Willis picks up three. Why you didn't go Wildcat with Eric Gray, who was averaging six yards a pop, I'm not sure. Next play, second and eight, you miss a block on a defensive line that comes man-free, comes untouched, and records a three-yard tackle for loss. Next play, third and 11. Adam, you would assume we're going to we're going to try to throw the football downfield. Theo Weiss, Marvin Mims, Braden Willis, they're having fantastic games statistically. Now, Levy's going to call a quarterback draw that results in a three-yard loss. Uh, put yourself at 4th and 11, or 4th and 14. OU misses the field goal. OU goes on to lose the game. It's just another long line of examples this season where uh, miss, coaching late-game mismanagement has cost this team a win. I'm going to assume that Lebby has more intermediate passing and over-the-middle passing game in his playbook, but either he doesn't feel comfortable calling that or Dylan Gabriel doesn't feel comfortable pulling mm-hmm. the trigger on some of those. Um, so I don't know what the limitation is there necessarily, but yeah, I, I think once you get into that red zone there, I think Jeff Levy's play calling, he felt he had to get too creative. I don't have a problem with the wide receiver pass. Stoops is not a quarterback, but he still shouldn't be letting his quarterback, you know, hanging him out to dry there with that big lob of a pass. Yeah. My bigger complaint was really on the third down QB draw. Not sure what the intention was there. I think in other areas of the field or other situations of the game, that's setting up for going for it on fourth down, even though this team is terrible at converting fourth downs. But it just didn't feel like the right moment for that. Um, I think my bigger concern was at the end of regulation, Brent Venable's not calling timeouts and letting Texas mm-hmm. Tech kick a field goal with you know no time left. Sure. I thought that was probably the wrong decision there. And we've we've just seen misuse of like clock management, of tempo, of a lot of different things um, throughout the season. And I, I my hope is that this coaching staff is going to be able to take a step back in the offseason and really review everything and go, okay, that was a bad idea. That strategy mm-hmm. does not work. And so we can adjust. I'm, I'm hopeful that they're able to take that reflective view of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I do want to say that coaching does have a part in the way that the six and six season has gone. But I think that time and time again, we're continuing to see that players are in a position to make plays and they're just simply not doing it, particularly on the defensive side of the football, making tackles. Key Lawrence, don't drop two interceptions that hit you right in the chest. You know, those kind of go hand in hand with that being such a, you know, one possession, ultimately a tie game going into overtime. So Oklahoma, that's the that's the difference though, Adam, is when but, you have a chance to make plays in tight ball games, you have to be the team that makes those or else the other team's gonna win. But but what I I guess what gets them to that? Are you saying that some of these there's no one that's capable of doing these things on the team, or are they just not being coached up to the point to actually finish the play? Or is it that they're not motivated? Because I feel like this all comes back to the coaching. Because you can't, you can't tell me that OU has, you know, uh, one of the top rosters in the mm-hmm. entire country. You know, we talked about that blue chip ratio. That that matters. Like I know that guys come out of high school and sometimes four stars are bust, sometimes five stars are, are bust. But mm-hmm. OU has a roster loaded with those guys, and yeah. we can't find two or three guys at each position that can can perform. Like, I, I, everybody on the team is a bust. I, I can't buy that. I understand that, but Key Lawrence dropping two interceptions is not on coaching. Woody Washington doing the offsides on third and seven, completely jumping into the receiver, that's not coaching. Uh, Danny St- or David Aguebu taking a bad angle, that's not coaching. I mean, there comes a point in time where, yes, coaches have to be held accountable, but at the end of the day, it's the guys out there in between the lines that are responsible for making the plays on the calls that are executed, and Oklahoma just hasn't done that enough in late in the second half in, in Big 12 conference play. 
I do. I, I, get what you're, to, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but I'm going to have to disagree with you there though, because I do think that the angle of pursuit is a coaching thing. Like that is something that you practice at youth football level. I'm not trying to like diminish these guys or say that their youth football players are better than they are, but like that is a drill that you run in youth football as far as angle of pursuit and just being able to understand that better. And mm-hmm. so I think there's, there's coaching elements there like tackling and this is another thing people talk about too, is saying, oh, well, everyone's learning all these new schemes, whatever. And it's like, okay, but some things don't change. It's not like we're, we're going from running the triple option to the spread offense. There's some things that are, are similar concepts, like you know, tackling and angle of pursuit are the same in every defense. Set the edge. <laughs> exactly. Don't you let know, them get the, outside. Yeah. The, the same thing with like the, the rushing, uh, you know, on the defensive ends. Those guys have been running past the quarterback all year long and, mm-hmm. and going way too far and, it's so easy for those tackles. That's why we haven't gotten very many uh, holding penalties is because they know that they don't have to block them, you know, the the same Mm -hmm. way they do everybody else. So I feel like there's so many coaching failures that have happened this year. And, and to be clear, I said it a couple weeks ago. I don't think my stance has changed. You know, if you said, Hey, on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being fire, Brent Venable, zero being, you know, he's, he's perfect. I'm only at like a four. That's I still think Brent is going to turn it around, but Mm -hmm. I feel like we had an unnecessary, uh, six and six year. And we could have been a lot better. We could have, you know, said, Hey, Brent, maybe you don't have to install everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Master one thing, master the four man front, master the three man front, pick one, maybe pick a lane there and, and, and be experts at it and say, we're going to be great at this and we're going to layer it on over time. Yeah. And, and I will say this too, one last thing before I, I give up the mic, but people, if a coach is only good at one system, that coach isn't going to be around very long. The The game is going to pass them by. So Brent Venables should, as a good coach, be able to come in and run any system he wants. And because he's a good coach, he should be able to get the maximum amount of his out of his players. Mm-hmm. Um, so the system excuse shouldn't matter. It should be something that I think should have been maybe uh, allowed over time so that we could have that success. Because this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of game. And the further and further Brent Venables gets away from that national championship, Clemson, all those NFL draft picks, he's not going to have as much recent success to show for it. And that's going to be harder and harder to recruit. Yeah. And that's a problem when you're in a results driven business. And, you know, Adam, I, I know that we're six and six, but we were also zero and four in one possession games, completely factor out the TCU and the Texas loss. You make a handful of plays in those games, you're still going to lose. So, but when you look at K-State, you look at West Virginia, Baylor, uh, down in Lubbock a week or last weekend against Texas Tech, if OU just simply makes one or two more plays when they're in position to do so, you're potentially talking about a nine and three or even a ten and two type season. So, yeah, I know that on paper you see the six and six, it looks bad. Yes, this this football program right now, it's in the worst shape that it's in that it's been in basically since I've been a fan that that I've been old enough to remember following this team. So, but when you look at it moving forward and I think that again, we talk. I, I don't. I think from this point forward, Lincoln Riley no longer needs to be brought up. And I think that's also one of the things, Adam, that's kind of making this season a lot worse for OU fans. As you see what's going on out in Southern California right now, uh, Caleb Williams is probably going to win the Heisman. But Adam, I think you could also make the claim you take Caleb Williams off of that team. That's probably a six or seven win team out there in Los Angeles right now. Let's just call a spade a spade for what it is. But I think moving forward, going into next year. And we can just kind of dive in, dive into this right now. 
For the last 12 months, Adam, we've loved hearing Brent talk about this program going through the transformation process, you know, building the foundation, establishing the culture, players showing up early and often, staying late, learning the right way to practice, learning how to take notes and watch film the correct way, doing all of the little things together uh, the right way. But now, Adam, people are going to start getting tired of hearing that coach speak because of the play that's happening on the field. You've got to win games. It's a results-driven business. You can't keep losing ball games in a similar fashion. You can't keep making the same mistakes week in and week out that's costing you wins and losses. So, again, I think that this is a situation where the honeymoon phase is definitely over, but I'm in agreement with you that I'm on about the 3.5 to 4 on the 1 to 10, you know, Brent Venable's hot seat uh, meter. Just give it a little bit of time. Take advantage of this offseason, and I think Oklahoma's going to be fine. I think Brent's the guy, but he's got to have some serious conversations with some coaches in that building, with some players on that roster, and he's got to make some changes. He's got to look in the mirror because you have this same season next year. The Then you're having a whole different conversation going into 2024, and you're going to start really talking about, is Brent who we want to have going into the SEC? But I'm not there yet. So Jordan Esco is one of our, our listeners. He's one of the OGs when it comes to OU podcasting. And yep. he's brought up a pretty interesting point I've seen on Twitter that I like a lot. I don't like it. I, it's, it's a, it's, I don't want it to happen, but he's brought it up in the sense that this is basically just lowering the bar for next year. It's, it's lowering expectations because coming into the season, everyone, most people were kind of in that nine and three, 10 and two type of area as far as what they expect from this team compete for a big 12 championship. We had a six and six year now going into next year. That kind of seems to be everyone's expectation is get back to nine and three, 10 and two. And I, I'm not a fan of that. I, I feel like, this was the year to probably be, and my prediction coming in was 11 and one. I was obviously dead wrong, overlooked a lot of things that I kind of got myself pumped up about. And I guarantee in the off season, I will do that same thing again mm-hmm. <laughs> once we get to August. Yeah. But there's no, there's not a progression. The expectation in the bar just keeps getting lowered. And I don't think that's something that Brent wants, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like he says, you know, the best is the standard and we're not going to be the best next year. And that's frustrating to me because we should be making larger strides. And instead we took an entire season. And I think the coaches, you know, they, they thought they were doing the right thing, but I think they kind of in a way shot themselves in the foot with this six and six season, because now you've given ammo to the other guys out there that are going to recruit against you. You know, Hey, Texas tech. Oh, we beat Oklahoma. Why would you go there? We beat, we beat Oklahoma and Texas tech in the same year. Why would you go there? Yeah. We'll use six and six in the Big 12. What are they going to do in the SEC? Like, we've given them all those things to say. And uh, that's a dangerous game to play when you're starting to give ammo to your opponents like that. Yeah, but Adam, that same ammo has has existed for the better part of the last, I don't know, 50 or 60 years, especially in the last 10 or 15, whether it's Iowa State, whether it's Texas Tech, or whether it's Texas A&M after beating OU in the Cotton Bowl in 2012. People are always going to negatively recruit against Oklahoma, but whether... We- but we haven't gone six and six since you and I were like five years old. And yeah, we might been, have our first losing season in, in mm-hmm. probably as, as many years as well. So I, I picked this team this to go bad. 10. Yeah, it's, it, it, we're, we've reached DEFCON 5. I picked this team to go 10 and 2. I thought, okay, probably more realistically, we're looking at 9 and 3. Worst case scenario, 8 and 4. Lo and behold, sitting here on November 29th, we're 6 and 6. It's threat level midnight. But I think that moving forward, 
you're now in a situation to where the transfer portal, it's it's already starting to show you how crazy and wild it's going to become. Oklahoma's roster, we're going to start to see some guys go to the NFL. We'll talk about it here in a second. You're going to see some guys into the transfer portal. I think that this is a time where Brent, Brent has absolutely no choice but to overturn this roster. You've almost, I mean, Adam, I hate to say it, but you've almost got to kind of take the Lincoln Riley in year one at USC approach where you've got to go into the transfer portal. You've got to bring in guys that can come in and help you. I know that I know that you want to build a program, you want to reestablish a culture, and you can still do that. But in today's in but in today's day and age where the transfer portal allows kids to go here and there and it allows football teams to be able to plug holes in their rosters, bring in elite level guys from other programs to come help them moving forward, Brent has no choice but to roll up his sleeves and get guys to come in here and play for him, especially in a in a at a handful of positions, or else you're gonna get into a situation, like you said, Adam, where you're probably gonna win eight or nine games, and that's definitely not the standard at a place like Oklahoma. And Oh, Brent has absolutely no choice but to do that. Well, we, we've done the math. 42% of the roster is new players this year. So that means 58% is Lincoln Riley guys. Mm. That's a lot lower than I think a lot of OU fans want to admit. They mm-hmm. don't want to admit that a, a majority of this roster, or not a majority, but a good chunk of this roster is guys that Brent Venables took in the transfer portal or his recruits or, or Lincoln Riley recruits that he said, you're good enough. I want to, I want to keep your commitment. Like nah, think about it. Jerry yeah, Kanick but- is his guy. R. Mason Thomas is his guy. Alton Tarver is his guy. Jane Gibson is his guy. Nick Evers is his guy. Like he's got his, he's got a ton of his guys in that. that yeah, but class. also at the same time too, he was hired in December. You had, he had no choice, but to keep that class together. Cause you got to have bodies. You got to have depth on your roster. Now, if, if you put some true serum in Brent Venable's coffee, if he was going down there and looking at the class of 2022 and he watched the film and he was actually the guy that was recruiting and evaluating these guys, chances are every single one of those guys that's, that was part of OU's class last year would not have been a guy that Brent Venables would have seriously taken. So I think we can call that for, at least in my opinion, I think we can call that to be true. But going you don't think into... he would have taken Robert Spears Jennings? You don't, you don't think he would have taken Gentry Williams? Like... You no, think I, th- I think I think I think you would have, but I think that your recruiting class last year looks entirely different. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was already number eight in the country. Like, it's pretty solid. It might true. be a mix of like guys and different schemes, but it that's true. pretty solid. That's good enough to mm-hmm. if for a good coach. They should be able to say, "Hey, I don't have the exact pieces I need, sure. but I can find a way to make it work. I can mm-hmm. find a way to to." Um, get the most out of this group of guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think he did that. And that's where the coaching plays a hand in this, why this should have been a 9-3 and or 10-2 and football team if you make a handful of plays each game that you made last year. If OU didn't make those plays last year, we all know about the one-possession-type football games that Oklahoma found a way to pull out. It's... But- but last year, remember before the season, it was something you said, Tyler, before the 2021 season, oh, you should not play a, a one possession game all year. And then that's what they did. And pretty much mm-hmm. every single game. Yep. I, I think people look back on 2021 and go, wow, like Caleb Williams heroically pulled us out. And he did against Texas. And he he had that one play against Kansas. But otherwise, mm-hmm. he was he was pretty bad against Baylor. He was pretty bad against Iowa State and not so great against Oklahoma State. Like what he is today, he was not last year. He was a freshman that was very up and down last year. So that well, team it, wildly un, underperformed. And I, we all think it was because Lincoln Riley didn't get the most out of those guys. And that was something Brent was supposed to be able to turn around. So 
I, I don't think you can look at last year and, and that doesn't make me feel better that, oh, the ball just didn't bounce our way this year. It did last year because this OU team should beat almost everybody not named Texas by two possessions. It just yeah, should, they I, shouldn't be playing close games. With I, I completely agree with you. And in each of those four out of the six losses, excluding TCU and Texas, it should it should never have came down to where one or two plays decides the outcome of this game. Yeah. It just simply shouldn't have. So, again... I, I, I think I think moving forward, if we're having this same conversation this time next year in 2023 where the team is underperforming, it's the same mistakes that the 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 players are simply not making plays. There's missed tackles. They're not setting the edge. There's stupid penalties. Uh, Brent Venables and Jeff Levy make the late game, you know, coaching mistakes. Then you can have a more serious conversation, which I think is kind of what this is leading to. Let's pull back for a second. But again, and we agree. We agree. Like we're we're still on the Brent train. You're like, one thousand percent still yeah. on the Brent train. I'm, I'm I think being really aggressive because like. I'm I'm pissed about how the season turned out, but like sure. you and I are still in agreement. Like we're we're on board. We want yes. it to work out. Like it's just frustrating that we have to go through this type of year when it feels like it could have been avoided. It it could have been avoided, but then that also kind of goes back to us being spoiled as Oklahoma fans and the the tradition and the standard of winning that we've been so used to for the last twenty years. So that the, we've again, Adam, we're twenty eight, twenty nine years old. We've never not known. Oklahoma winning 9, 10, 12 games, winning a Big 12 championship every year, fighting for a playoff. Six and six, this is like being on a different planet right now. And so expectations aren't going to change. I fully expect Oklahoma to be competing for a Big 12 championship next year. Expectations aren't going to change. And that's that's what happens when you sign up to play, and that's what happens when you sign up to coach at a place like Oklahoma. Yeah. I guess, do you want to talk transfer portal? I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess we, I guess we can. Um, so hasn't, it hasn't been, um, there haven't been as many guys entered. I, I kind of figured that right after the game, especially on Sunday. And again, it's only Tuesday, the week after, uh, the regular season finale. So there's definitely still time. It's again, we've already started to see programs all over the country, guys leaving, but you know, you've already got, you know, guys like Joseph Wete, uh, Cavante Henry, Clayton Smith, they're not going to be with the program. Theo Weiss and Truman, he's transferring. Jordan Mukes just a couple of hours ago, he announced he's going to be transferring. Adam, is there really anybody else that you've kind of got your eye on? Is, you know, that chances are there that guy's going to be out the door? Yeah, I'll throw some names out there. I saw this on Sooner Scoop. I'll, I'll tease it as go sign up for it and follow <laughs> the transfer portal thread. It's very entertaining, and Stoops Bros uh, does some, some great work over there. Mm-hmm. Um, he threw out some names because he just follows the follows on Twitter. And, uh, he had Marcus Alexander, Bryson Washington, uh, Trayvon West, Josh Ellison, and Josh Eaton all following other coaches at different programs. I don't think any of those names are a surprise. None of those guys are real contributors or anything. I've got every single one of them on my list yeah. here. So, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's just kind of filler. And I, I guess you could bring in some, um, you know, bigger high school class or maybe some transfers from the portal that could mm-hmm. do just as much as any of them have done all year. I, I don't yeah. Know maybe Trayvon I mean, West it's... had a tackle on special teams on Saturday. That's about all he's done. And that's yeah. Really so, I mean, it's, it's premature and maybe a little bit unfair to assume, but you'd have to think that players that have barely seen the field at all in their first couple of years at Oklahoma, um, you know, are seriously considering, and you you alluded to it, you know, Bryson Washington, Brian Darby, Aaron Parks yeah. was another one that I mentioned, Josh Eaton, Kendall Dennis is another guy, highly rated recruit out of the state of Florida. Many people thought was going to be have a chance to, uh, you know, be an impact player this year in the secondary. I don't think he had a meaningful snap all season long. If he did, I just simply didn't remember it. And then, Adam, I, I had one other name on here as well. What's keep What keeps Marcus Major around? 
other than the fact he's about to have, you know, his another one of his legendary bowl performance games that we've seen <laughs> the last couple of seasons. But let's keep yeah. in Marcus Major here. He looks great against group of five opponents and then disappears uh, completely off the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, the next Adrian Peterson as he was billed <laughs> while he was in high school. But, but you know, Adam, I, I think I'm at a point right now. And, you know, if if you pulled the coaching staff, you know, put a little truth serum in their in their coffees, I think that, you know, chances are they probably wouldn't mind seeing a handful of these guys choose to leave the program, help them out, get to their next destination, because you're at a time where if you're not helping Oklahoma – and if you're not a player where this coaching staff can see, like, okay, this kid, we're going to develop him. We see him as a guy that, you know, maybe he can't help us right now, but he's a guy that can maybe help us a year from now. If there's nobody, if you're not a player on that roster that has that future, then I hate to say it, but I think you got to be processed and you got to be, you got to find another home. And that's where it's on Brent, whether it's through the high school recruiting ranks or it's in the transfer portal. You've got to get guys in here that you see fit your system, can play in your scheme. It can be an impact player for you uh, at all 11 positions on both sides of the ball. So let me ask you this, because we had the transfer portal last year. We I think mm-hmm. we had like the number four ranked class according to 247, which I don't know. They're still trying to figure out how those rankings work. Um, but a lot of G5 players came in uh, to mm-hmm. OU last offseason. And I, I recognize that Brent wasn't here as early as we would have liked him to be. And maybe he didn't have the ability to go after some of the guys in the transfer portal that maybe he should have. Right. So I do expect that talent to improve coming in this year, but for the most part, Dylan Gabriel, that was a hit. He had to be a hit. He was Mm -hmm. the starter. Um, And he, he's been solid. We'll talk about him in a minute. CJ Colden hit, but it took more than half the season to get there. Coaches developed him into that. I, uh, and plus, sure. he, plus, he sure. also didn't get here till July. So yeah, he he was late getting in. I don't know if maybe he did. He had that talent the whole time. <laughs> the coaches just finally started playing him, or maybe they did develop him. If they did, mm-hmm. good. Like either way, it works. Outside of that, I think every every single transfer outside of that is a miss. I can't think of another guy that was yeah. Meaningful I mean, Jeffrey transfer. Jeffrey Johnson. He played all season long. Wasn't really a true difference maker. LV Bunkley Shelton. Maybe had what less than ten catches. JJ Hester, JJ uh, Hester, yeah. yeah. So McCade um, Toyer, terrible. <laughs> ter- what? That's a whole other conversation we could have. We'll save that for another podcast. Trey Morrison had some nice he, plays. He played pretty he well. Play a whole lot. He Absolutely, didn't play a whole lot. It was weird. Um, TJ Roof, he got injured. He probably would have been helpful for some depth. Mm-hmm. Would have been nice to have him. Jonah mm-hmm. Lualu, he had a couple plays here and there, but he's played well. Was widely like non-existent. For the most part. Yeah. People remember his interception in Bedlam. Daniel Parker uh, kicked off the team pretty much a nobody most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So like you got to hit, like, you've got to hit on him. Uh, yeah. And that's, I guess that's my question too, is like, well, one, some of those guys will come back like Jonah Luwalu. I think he has another year. Sure. Like, do you expect any of those guys to develop anymore? I, th- there's also some talk about CJ Colden potentially getting a six you. year, a hardship year. I don't think that he wants to stick around at this point. It's been in college forever. <laughs> well, yeah, but after after such a successful back half of this season, playing the way that he has, if there's an opportunity for you to get that extra year of eligibility, I think as it stands right now, he's probably not going to get drafted. But you come back for another season in Brent Venable's scheme, another year in the yeah. system, another year of coaching with Brandon Hall and Jay Valai, you could play yourself into a day three type of guy, maybe a late day yeah. two. I mean, if yeah. you're Oklahoma, you're trying anything and everything to get CJ Colden and Woody Washington to come back. Yeah. So I, I guess to kind of recap my question, like, should I be, 
hopeful. I, I think the class will be better from the transfer portal, but should mm-hmm. I be hopeful that that makes any, any significant difference? Cause it didn't this year. And I don't think that any of those guys that are going to be back for a second year out of the portal yeah. at OU are going to take much of a leap forward either. I think that I think that realistic expectations, I think it's fair to assume that it is going to be better. You're going to get a better crop of talent coming in through the transfer portal this season compared to last year. One, simply because of the timing standpoint, now you've got a staff in place um, that you know will have the full amount of time in order to recruit the guys as they enter the portal, and you're not waiting until January to basically collect the scraps. Which you know, shout out to Oklahoma, you know, Dylan Gabriel, C.J. Colden being able to turn those guys, you know, into key contri- contributors. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're, I think you have every right to expect that the talent level and the um, the these guys that are going to be transferring them in them having to make an impact on the field next season. I think it's fair to assume that, and I think that OU fans going into next year should fully expect that the the 2023 class that this staff has evaluated from start to finish, they're going to take their signatures, and for all the guys that are going to be coming in from the portal, I think it's fair for us to assume and to expect and to hold these coaches to a standard where these guys need to be able to come in and play to the standard that you're coaching. The transfer portal has been... You know, on well, fire. Ju- ju- just look at who they've gotten so far. The uh, J- what is it? J- Jacob Lacey transfer from yeah. uh, defensive lineman from Notre Dame. He's known Todd Todd Bates for what the last six or seven years. You have to expect he's going to come in and be able to make a difference up front inside. Uh, and then the kid that we got from the junior college uh, was Kendall Dolby. Um, yeah, he he'll he'll look he looks he'll, play, he'll play he'll play. Well, yeah. As far as portal players exclusively, though, I feel like there's there's really three categories. There's your group of five players that were highly productive at lower level schools. Mm-hmm. They might come up and be a Dylan Gabriel. They might be like a, a Jacob. Um, I think it's Cowling uh, who transferred from UTEP to Arizona. He's had a great, great yep. year there. Yeah. They could be that. The uh, defensive lineman from Albany, the transfer to yep. Florida state, to Florida state. So like there, there's some guys here and there that are like that. Um, there's also, you know, for every one of those guys, there's probably 10 guys that are, Jonah Lualu. I'm trying mm-hmm. to pick on the guy. He he had some good plays, he, but he was widely non-existent for most of the year. You also yeah. have your guys that are, you know, your power five guys that have played a lot that are kind of in the same mold, like McCabe Matoyer, who's kind of nothing. You have your, your guys from power five schools that are transferring and have never really played and they're kind of a gamble. So like Drew Sanders might be a, a high success mm-hmm. uh, example of that, but it also could be Trey Morrison who... Well, I guess he, he played a lot at UNC, but like, I'm just saying like, it, it's just such hit and miss. And I don't really feel like I, I just can't get excited about as many of these guys until I see them on the field because we saw so many misses well, this year. Well, Adam, let's talk about some portal necessities. Just looking at the current makeup of this roster right now. And we'll, we'll touch on this before we dive into possibly some staff changes and then a couple other things before we get into our picks. But looking at the roster currently as is, when talking about the portal necessities, what Brent Venables needs to bring in to help basically turn this team from a six and six into a 10 and two, 11 and one type football team going into 2023. For me, it starts at the linebacker position. Currently on your roster, you've got Danny Stutzman leads the big 12 in tackles this year. That's your, that's your, you know, that's your key pillar for that defense going into next year. David Aguebu, um, 
you've done some nice things. He has an opportunity to come back if he wants to. It's not going to hurt my feelings if he if he tries to go to the NFL. Shane Witter, how's he going to respond coming off of an injury? You've got Canick, you've got Kobe McKenzie, you've got Kip Lewis, incoming freshman. You've got Samuel Omosigo, Phil Pachati, and Lewis Carter. Watch out for Lewis Carter to play as a true freshman. But, you know, Adam, I think that my plan, if I was looking at this in terms of the inside linebacker position, you've got to try to bring in a seasoned interior linebacker with one or two years of experience playing Power 5 football. Maybe he got, maybe he fell behind on the depth chart at a place like Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State. Bring him in there. See if he can contribute. If anything, he gives you depth. Defensive tackle is another one. And we've already seen Todd Bates uh, make a splash in the transfer portal with this one, bringing in Jacob Lacey uh, from Notre Dame. Ashton Sanders, Derek LeBlanc, that's a couple guys that are coming in in the 2023 class. Wide receiver, Adam, is another position that I've got pegged as uh, Oklahoma needs to bring in at least one, maybe two guys to help out next year. Oklahoma is seriously lacking, I think, premier talent at this school group. Marvin Mims could come back, uh, but if he goes pro, which I expect him to, if he does, you are very thin on receivers going into next season. Uh, much less receivers that can, that have actually made plays in meaningful snaps of games, you know, within the last couple of years. And then we've already seen Kendall Dolby, uh, the JUCO guy, uh, coming in. Uh, th- that's going to be part of this roster going forward next year. I think you've got to go out there and maybe take at least one, if not two more, defensive backs, particularly at safety. Uh, Broyles is gone. Trey Morrison is gone. You've got Billy Bowman coming back. We would all ultimately we would love to have Peyton Bowen. Uh, coming in next year. We'll see if that comes to fruition with National Signing Day coming up here in a few weeks. But if you can convince Woody and C.J. Colton to come back, I think those are chances are those are your two starting corners next year. But I think you need to bring in a couple more defensive backs, not just with what you've got coming in the class of 2023, but a couple of guys that have got some proven experience in the, from the transfer portal. Um, Oklahoma's got some got some holes that they need plugged, and you could even throw the offensive line in there as well. So you named every position group except for quarterback, pretty much. Which actually, uh, I, I think running backs. I don't think you mentioned them. Running backs, fine. Tackles, yeah. fine. If yeah. interior, I think needs a little bit of help. You're losing Matower. You're losing Chris Murray. Yeah. Um, why? I, it's clear that there's not anything better in that room right now uh, on the interior because we couldn't get uh, McCain Matower off the field. Savion Bird, I don't know. Uh, a few other guys, Jake Taylor, Jacob Sexton. I think that you know those two will be on your starting offensive line next year, but you got to bring in some depth. Yeah, well, that the quarterback position one that you didn't mention, but raises a pretty interesting question there because Dylan Gabriel didn't come out and say right yep. away after the game that he was mm-hmm. coming back. Um, we asked on Twitter uh, just yesterday, and I was surprised how many responses <laughs> we got. We might have over 300 total responses by the time uh, we're finished recording here, 286 right now. Um, uh, just asking what the letter grade was of what people thought he did this year. And I was kind of I was kind of impressed. Most OU fans were pretty level-headed and reasonable, gave him you know, somewhere in the B range, which I think is probably appropriate. It, it's hard to measure his statistics because he did miss a game and a half. And... I think that skews some things, but I would mm-hmm. say overall, he's probably a top 25 quarterback in all of college football. Mm-hmm. I, think that's, I think that's fair to say. We're used to having a top five quarterback and you definitely need, a, I think a top, at least a top 10 quarterback in most cases to win national championship. I don't think anyone thought we were going to win national championship this year. So we kind of knew what he was. We knew he was a group of five quarterback coming up to a higher level, but he's been more than good enough. He really, I don't think he's really <coughs> lost us a game necessarily. Some people say West Virginia is his fault. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. That was a huge team effort uh, to to lose the game the way they did there. But what do you think? Do you think there's a chance he goes to the NFL? He's not going to the NFL. 
I don't. Th- yeah. I don't think. I don't think as it sits right now. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I'm sorry. Uh, to me, he's either going to transfer or he's got to come back to Oklahoma. And I hope he comes back to Oklahoma. I think he did some great things this season, regardless of how some of you fans might feel about Dylan Gabriel. DG isn't the reason we had a 6-6 six and six season. Now, he's definitely got some things to work on. Adam, you alluded it to just a few minutes ago. He needs to be better at seeing the field, making the throws in the middle of the field, and not relying simply on the deep ball. Uh, and I think he can make those steps. One thing, though, that I do hope going into this offseason, that when Brent Venables and Jeff Levy sit down with him, I hope that they have... Um, I hope that they make the decision to tell him that even if he decides to come back for one more year in Norman, he's not guaranteed to be the starting quarterback at OU once this thing kicks off next year. Nick Evers is on campus. Jackson Arnold is on the way. You're going to have to compete to win this job and be the guy next year. But, I mean, as we sit here right now, I don't th- I can't see him being on an NFL roster right now. He's got too much stuff to work on. Statistically, he's been a fantastic college quarterback, even though his numbers have kind of fallen off a little bit this year. You can chalk that up to injury. You can chalk that up to uh, you know uh, uh, better competition that he's going against. Yes, but I think he's got to come back for one more year. He's not ready. No way. Nine, nine quarterbacks got drafted in this past year's NFL draft. That would probably put him in – uh, competition for one of those final draft spots with the likes of Michael Penix, uh, Cam Rising, maybe Bo Nix. And I don't think he's necessarily a better prospect than any of those guys. He is a small guy. Uh, he's a small guy and he's a lefty. And I think that's going to hurt um, his potential prospects mm-hmm. as, a, as a quarterback. So, yeah, I think he has and to come back. I don't know why he's necessarily thinking about it. I, he can't really tra- – I mean, I don't know if he could be a grad transfer possibly and go somewhere else. I don't. I don't think so. I, don't know why I think that, that when he's with Levy, he feels like he's got that pairing where he wants. To yeah, play. he's not going to find a better situation than the one he's in right yeah. now. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. Because so, why? Why would you choose to do that for your final year? I think he's got the COVID year of eligibility left. If he chooses to use it, that's the one that he'll which have. Would be, would be which would be year, next yeah. season. But you're in a position right now where you're playing with the coordinator that recruited you out of high school. You had a couple years with him at UCF. You just played with him in your first season, Oklahoma. Why would you choose to spend the last year of your college career? going to a new school, learning a new scheme with new players and new coaches, he needs to stay right here at Oklahoma. Yeah, I think he I think he will return. We'll have all, all offseason talk about the whole Jackson Arnold dynamic. Adam, I do I do want to ask you one thing. And yeah. again, this this is something that we can kind of take a deeper dive into with Corbin once he gets back from his uh for, from his illness. And that's some staff changes. Now uh, we're not going to dive too deep into it. Uh, we, we, you and I, we've heard some things within the last couple of weeks. It sounds like there is going to be some changes inside the program. May not necessarily be uh, as severe as a coordinator or maybe even uh, you know one of the premier position coaches, but there is going to be some turnover. There will be some changes made within this inside the program. Two names: Ladamian Washington. Is he your wide receiver coach moving forward, or? Do you have absolutely no choice but to go out and try to land somebody else? The way things are trending, it seems like there's less than a 5% chance of LaDamian Washington being the full-time I agree. coach. I agree. I agree. Ted Roof. Now, I, mm-hmm. I'll let you sit on that for just a second because this is one that I think a lot of OU fans are definitely opinionated on. How much influence does Ted Roof really have, to me, is the question. Is he the one calling the defense, or was it more so Brent? I'm not sure we'll ever find out the answer, but to me, there's really no reason 
why Ted Roof needs to be on the staff. We didn't like the hire when it was announced. We scratched our heads asking ourselves why this was the guy Brent chose to, to bring with him. His son graduated and is gone. To me, Adam, there's not a very good reason to keep him on staff in 2023. Outside of Brent's loyalty, um, and he doesn't want to make a coordinator change uh, after his first season. But I think you've got to go get an up-and-comer, uh, maybe go get a younger guy uh, that's hungry, that's an elite recruiter, somebody that the guys can relate to a little bit better. We've already seen message board chatter about Zach Arnett from Mississippi State. We've seen what he's been able to do accompanied with a Mike St- Mike Leach-type uh, offense. I I think you've got to make some changes. I think you've got to get rid of Ted Roof. Yeah... I guess he was effective in being the, you know, the headpiece that could be the scapegoat and that mm-hmm. could, you know, do the press conferences, I guess. Um, because it I sure think- seems like Brent is is running everything. And I guess you could say maybe Roof wasn't as effective at carrying out Brent's plan, which then mm-hmm. in turn allowed Brent not to be as much of a CEO and pay as much attention to the offense as we would have liked. Bingo. So I guess he failed in that regard, but I also am like, <laughs> What was his What was his real expectation? What did Brent say he was going to do when he came in here? Because surely it was, I'm going to run everything. You're going to get the fancy title and the big salary, mm-hmm. and I'll rely I, on you to do like some of the administrative stuff. So, like, I, I said this after the Texas game. Ted Roof was brought in to be the scapegoat, allow Brent Venables to establish the culture, install his defense in year one. If it doesn't go as planned, again, we've talked about true serum is is a word that's come up a lot this episode. If you put some true serum in Brent Venables' coffee, once he got through spring ball, he saw what he had on that roster. I bet you money he knew that he did not have in in that defensive locker room enough to be able to execute a high level to win to you know do what Brent Venables is accustomed to do. So I think you've got to get rid of Ted Roof because moving forward, Adam, if you keep him on staff, the grace period is gone. And P- and if the defense continues to struggle going into the next season, even if Ted Roof is the one that's calling the plays, Venables is the one that's going to have to answer for it because he's continuing not just to employ Ted Roof, but he's the one that's allowing these mistakes and these play calls and this performance to continue. Yeah. And I I just don't see the point of what he brings going forward because I don't think Brent necessarily wants someone there to be the scapegoat. I think he's fine with taking the blame. I'm I'm still pleased with some of the things I'm hearing from him in press conferences in -hmm. in regards to saying, you know, Hey, it starts with coaching. It starts with me. I don't think we heard that from past staff. So I appreciate that. So I don't think that he's necessarily holding him there for that. So if that's the case and Brent is really running everything, bring in a, just a linebackers coach and take on the, the title of defensive coordinator mm-hmm. and get someone that is going to be extremely useful on the recruiting trail. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if as a defensive coordinator, um, it, well, let me say this. I'm not sure if as a defensive coordinator turn head coach, it, you can do both jobs. We, we see Ryan day, we see Lincoln Riley on the offensive side, you know, wearing two hats. But if you look at what uh, Dan Lanning is doing at Oregon, if you look at what Kirby is doing at Georgia, what Saban is doing in Alabama, they've got their hands on it, but they've also got a well-qualified, competent defensive coordinator that they trust to be able to take care uh, of a huge portion of the workload. And I think Venables has got to make a change. Um, Cause if he doesn't, you're basically accepting the same thing that you've been <laughs> that you've been putting out there for the last 12 months, but we'll see. We'll dive into it. We got a long off season ahead, and unfortunately, it's an off season coming off of a six and six year. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You got anything else before we get into bets? 
Let's talk about bets. It's the last season or last week of the season. And I, I don't know if thing, I would say things are coming down <laughs> to the wire necessarily, but uh, Tyler, you've officially eliminated yourself from contention uh, for mm. first place. So playing for second at this point, uh, I'll go in reverse order. Tyler at uh, 28, 36 and one. Damn. Corbin at 30 and 35 passes. Tyler was, was hanging behind Tyler for several weeks, but has <laughs> finally passed him. Corbin's got a chance still at first place. Uh, which is held by me at 33, 29, and 3. Mm-hmm. I did the uh, the simulation, so to speak, and there's two scenarios where Corbin can walk away as the winner of the overall season uh, for our picks. It is a scenario where he wins at least four games and I win zero this week. The other scenario is he wins five games, goes 5-0, and oh, which is really tough to do, and then I only win one or fewer games. So two scenarios that could happen. It's not uh, impossible, although... Still I'm a steep pull- mountain to climb. I'm pulling for you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's jump into picks. Uh, because Corbin needs to basically go the opposite of me, he's actually going to do the opposite of every pick that I have. So I don't need to list off his picks. What I'll a gutless wonder. The opposite. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, I am going to start with Akron at Buffalo, a game that was rescheduled. It's going to be played on Friday at noon. The only reason I really wanted to pick this game was because I wanted to have something Friday afternoon <laughs> to be paying attention to. Uh, so this makeup game, I've got the over on 55 and a half. Looks like we'll get some pretty good weather in Buffalo for that time of year. It'll at least be sunny and, uh, and no mm. rain or snow in the forecast. So I'm taking the over there. Yeah, I've kind of followed suit with the OU football team each of the last few weeks. I started out strong this year, and then we've got down to the very home stretch of the actual game, and I've fallen apart. So uh, we'll see if I can finish on a high note and recapture that number two spot. Pick number one for me, I'm going out to the Pac-12 Championship in Vegas on Friday night, Utah versus USC. USC currently sitting as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Utah, that's uh, that's the lone loss on USC's record this year, a one-point loss on the road at Utah. Adam? Lincoln Riley is 4-0 in conference championship games. He's got the better quarterback, although I do love me some Cam Rising. But to me, this kind of feels like this. you couldn't have written this any better as a UFC fan. you got Caleb Williams. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Lincoln has an opportunity if they win to make the college football playoff. I think USC wins the Pac-12 championship and covers the two-and-a-half number. I have that exact same pick, and... I really wrestled on it because I didn't want to pick it. I don't want to root for USC, <laughs> but... If they if they cover it and they win, then I slam the door shut. Hopefully on Friday of this competition, mm-hmm. uh, and I can ruin uh, Corbin's Saturday. He doesn't even have to root for the rest of his picks. That's my goal. Um, but I, I hope I'm wrong. I want it to be interesting. I want Utah to win that one, keep mm-hmm. USC out of the playoff, take away Caleb Williams Heisman uh, if possible. But um, yeah, I've got the Trojans covering there. Pick number two for me, uh, going out to Toledo versus Ohio. The Bobcats of Ohio are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Adam, I'm picking this strictly off of the fact that Ohio is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Ohio's won seven in a row. Toledo is 0-5 against the spread in its last five games, and the Bobcats are 8-0 against the spread in their last eight matchups. So give me the Bobcats of Ohio to cover. Well, actually, they're a one-and-a-half-point underdog. Give me Ohio plus one and a half. My number three going big 12 championship K state versus TCU. going to take the under here on 61 and a half. Just think this is going to be a slower pace game. Um, and so that's why I think the under is going to hit there. 
Nice. Uh, pick number three for me, going out to a rematch earlier this season, UCF, the Golden Knights, uh, taking on the two-lane green wave. UCF won this uh, previous matchup earlier this season. Michael Pratt had a couple of interceptions, uh, didn't play his best brand of football. I do not expect that to happen twice in one season against the, the Golden Knights. Tulane is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, give me the green wave to cover the three-and-a-half and avenge that loss uh, from earlier this season. Got a very similar pick, except I'm taking the green wave minus two and a half in the first half. My thinking here is that the first matchup, uh, which I believe did happen at Tulane, was yep. one that kind of got away from Tulane a little bit early. And so I think that kind of changed the the pace of that game. Mm-hmm. I think Tulane comes back really focused here and throws everything on the table in that first half. And they probably do end up winning it, but um, I think they're they're going to be really amped up, especially in that that first half. Sure. Pick number four for me, uh, going back out. I can't believe I'm not doing too many uh, of these big-time conference championship games. I'm going to Coastal Carolina versus Troy. Coastal Carolina, they got absolutely waxed last weekend against James Madison. They don't have their starting quarterback. He's out for the rest of the year. Troy has been a sneaky good team the last month of the season. Troy right now, uh, I'm not going to take the uh, total game line in this one. I'm actually going to take Troy minus four and a half first half. I think Troy jumps on him, jumps on him early, and they put this one out of reach. So I don't want to break news to you, but there is a chance that Grayson McCall plays for Coastal Carolina. It could just be coach speak uh, for game planning purposes, but it sounds like there's an outside chance he does play in that game. I still like Troy. I, I think that's probably still a safe pick. Uh, my number five, I've got Clemson minus seven and a half against UNC in the ACC championship game. Clemson bounces back pretty strong from their losses, so I think that's what will happen here. UNC heading in the wrong direction in the way they're finishing this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of talent on offense, not so much on defense. I just think the talent advantage and disparity for Clemson shines here. So I got the Tigers covering seven and a half. There's two different ways I want to go with pick number five. Part of me wants to take Kansas State as a plus two-and-a-half-point underdog. Kansas State, I'd said in the preseason, that was my sleeper team to win the Big 12 championship, but this one kind of feels like TCU is a team of destiny. Will Howard, although, is going to be the starting quarterback uh, for the Wildcats in this one. Uh, K-State in the regular season matchup was up 28-10 to 10 before TCU stormed back and uh, had an awesome come-from-behind victory. But I'm going to stay away from that one just so I can watch it and not have any rooting interest. So I'm going to the SEC title game in Atlanta, LSU versus Georgia. Uh, I know Georgia right now is a 17-and-a-half. I, I even saw today it was up to 18-and-a-half-point spread. But I'm actually going to take the over in this one. Right now it's set at 15-and-a-half. Georgia right now averages just over 40 points a game. LSU, I know that they're coming off of just an absolutely crushing loss on the road in College Station against Texas A&M. Part of that was A&M playing extremely well, but I can't help but think LSU didn't kind of have one eye looking ahead next week to the to the uh, uh, Superdome in Atlanta, looking ahead at Georgia. So um, I think that 15 and a half, what's Corbin's famous line? It's too good to be true, it feels like. But I'm going to take the over 15 and a half uh, and just sit back and watch. So... We we shall see. So no pick, no OU game this week, unfortunately. Thank for, God <laughs> for that. But uh, we will do some predictions once we figure out the bowl matchup. We'll have a lot to talk about last week about who that will be. Probably have some more opt-outs. We'll have some more guys in the portal to discuss. We might have some new coaching changes. Um, there's, it feels like things just pick up almost more, uh, for at least for us, as far as discussion, things to talk about. Our podcast seems to grow more in the offseason. 
Our Twitter account's blowing up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, things just get a little bit more interesting there um, because the college football offseason has gotten very interesting. So we're excited to see what's next. Uh, we will have a new episode out next week. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. Uh, you can find us by searching there. And then also follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. And uh, with that, we will see everyone again next week for the Mainline Podcast. Thank you.